Welcome to Many Happy Mile, the podcast that celebrates all type of forward movement, whether it's swimming laps in your neighborhood pool, a Tai Chi class, or breaking out your dusty rollerblades. We are here to say yay to all of it and bring on guests to inspire you to move with joy. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wassner Flynn. And Dimity, I'm actually saying yay to those rollerblades. I don't even know where mine are, but that brought back such a good memory of rollerblading through New York City when I was an intern in college and I rollerbladed all over the city. Oh my gosh. We are twins. We are twins there. Oh my gosh. So wait, you so did that too? Wait, yeah. What was your, what, what internship did you have in NYC? I had an internship in Soho at a startup magazine during the internet boom. So that dates me, of yes. course. Well, but... <laughs> what was it called? What was the magazine called? It was called Alley Cat News, and they covered <laughs> the Silicon Alley, which was, oh. you know, the New York version of the Silicon Valley. Yes. And I had no idea what I was doing as far as like what the subject matter was, but I learned very quickly and they gave me so much responsibility. And I rollerbladed that summer so much. I don't, I, I don't even know how I had the bravery to do that. I was in the middle of the streets. Yes. You know, totally. up and down. Totally. No. Oh my gosh. I Seventh totally did Avenue. That. <laughs> yeah. You did that too. You and you're so tall. You must have been such a presence. Well, I was I was all like arms and legs, but I mostly did it in Central Park. So I actually I didn't do it during my internship. Oh, maybe I did. Um, it doesn't matter that this is really boring for anybody, but I used to um <laughs> I used to rollerblade through Central Park. So I lived on the west side. And then my internship was over in the Time Life building. So I would kind of rollerblade down and then take, I would take them off like after, mm-hmm. like before and after I got into Central Park. I put them on when I got to Central Park and then I took them off when I got out, mostly because me on the sidewalks. I, and I know you shouldn't rollerblade on the sidewalks, which is a whole different <laughs> story and a, like an etiquette lesson. But yes, and I had the, um, the K2s. Do you remember those? This is yes. with a soft boot. That was really, I, I, I think that's what mine were too. This is yeah. very nostalgic right now. I'm yes. just like thinking about what they looked like <laughs> and they were my sisters and she gave them to me. And then I loved, I like put so much mileage on those things. I love them. Of two I mean, I love yeah. rollerblading, especially like, again, maybe it was, maybe it was careless and maybe a little stupid, but like so fearless. And I didn't wear pads or anything or a helmet, right? Like it was just like, I'm just out. No, and, of um, course not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I used to go around Central Park. Like I used to do like three laps on a Sunday. That was my like routine. So I would be like, I'm going 18 miles today. And That's then 18 miles. Yes. That's and a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. Too. It was hills. You were but- probably so buff. Your quads were probably in like ridiculous <laughs> shape because I rollerblading is like sneaky fitness. Sneaky hard. It's so... Yeah, sneaky hard. And I would wear like my cutest outfits. I'd get dressed, I'd get totally dressed, <laughs> wear like a cute New York City intern outfit, and then zip over to Soho. And then I would be an go cat. into the building with my rollerblades. And every day, the build, you know, the guy at the front would be like, yeah. take those off. You're not allowed to have rollerblades <laughs> in the building. And I was like, come on, I'll take them off. You know, it was my little, our little like rapport in the morning. So our repertoire. You didn't, didn't say how cute you looked. You're like, but you, but you look oh, so no, cute never, today. Never. Never. <laughs> I thought I was cute. Yeah. 
Oh, and for 90s, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are into the 90s nostalgia too. The flagship Abercrombie was like two doors down from my building. Oh. And so I would rollerblade past like the Abercrombie guys that at the time they were like half naked in front of the building. Yeah, did they stay out? <laughs> they stood outside on the street, right? They stood outside on the street. And I'd always be like, I got to look good for the Abercrombie boys. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Blast from the past. Blast oh from my the gosh. past. Well, there you go. I brought it out because yeah. I thought about it. Wait, did it, did it smell? Yeah. Is that when they, was, a, was that their perfume days yes, when they, they would had the smell? that whatever that was that scent was they would pump that out and I'd always be like one of these days I, I think I was actually dating Mark at the time but I was you know and I ended up marrying him but I was always like one of these days I'm going to talk to one of those guys and yes. I never did really they're going <laughs> to be like wait aren't you the person who, who rollerblades by us every morning or every evening right like, <laughs> I've been watching you <laughs> in your dresses and skirts I don't know what I was thinking oh I love it never got hit by a car never fell I was always always like very cool and suave about it. And now I think I would be a mess. Oh I'd my be gosh. so nervous. But or yeah. if you heard your kids were doing that, you'd be like, oh my gosh, let me send you all the headgear, all the knee gear, yeah. you know, Where's elbow your pads. Where's your pads? Yeah, <laughs> never. And my mom didn't know I was doing it. So if she's listening to this now. She's probably like gasping, but yeah, she never knew that I did that. I think she thought I walked to work every day. <laughs> yeah. Similar, similar. Yeah. 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 Well, awesome. I love yeah. the blast from the past and, um, that's so fun. But today we are going to switch from rollerblading to ultra running. Um, and I imagine that, you know, my 18 miles in Central Park is a walk in the park for our guests. But before we get started with our guests today, I wanted to give you a heads up. At the end of this episode, we'll have our second edition of Nourished on the Run, that little nutrition nugget with Ellie Kempton. Today, Ellie and I are going to talk about making the most of the bounty of summer. So know that the finish line of this podcast is actually farther away than you think. So, so buckle Great. up. Um, but really, let's start today with our guest that Sarah and I have on. If you follow the running world in any way, you've probably heard of Sally McRae. Maybe you follow her on Instagram. She's at Yellow Runner. Or maybe you've tried out her strength training app. She's a killer, awesome strength trainer. I don't know if that's such a thing, but she is very strong and great at demonstrating things. Maybe you listen to her podcast or watch her YouTube channel, or maybe you cheered her on during one of her bad water races or other ultra runs. Yeah. So today we're bringing on Sally. She's a mother runner of two from Huntington, California, and she's going to be discussing, among other things, her new book, which is called Choose Strong, The Choice That Changes Everything. It just came out last month, so we're super excited to have Sally on. So welcome, Sally. Sally, hello. Hello. Welcome, Sally. We are so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me on. Longtime fan. Um, let's just jump right into your new book called Choose Strong, which is a very personal and powerful memoir that pulls the curtain back on your past and how it shaped you to be the woman you are today. Why did you decide to write a book? What inspired you to write it? I loved writing since the time I was a little girl. It was a really powerful, creative outlet for me. My mom gave me my first journal when I was like five or six years old, and which I still have to this day. I have boxes of journals that I've kept. I call them diaries when I was little. Well, were they under lock and key? Did you have like one of those like really I bad I did have locks? a couple of those. Yes. <laughs> I did too. I still have them tucked away somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I I think, you know, I grew up in a, in a pretty creative family too. So my, my dad came from a long line of 
actors and musicians. And my, my brother's incredibly musically talented. My mom was a dancer. So really loved just writing and drawing and all of that. But it ended up turning into a very powerful outlet for me. The older I got, it was like a safe place for me to write and just to release and to work through a lot of the events in my life that that didn't always make sense and, and feelings and thoughts. And and so as I got older, I really loved being able to share and connect with people. I think it was just always just something that I loved doing. I loved people since the time I was a little girl. I think that was something pretty signature to my life. I always wanted to be someone that was real and open and relatable, but I think deep inside growing up, I, I couldn't always be that. I was I was hiding so much. And um, with that came just so much pain and, and realize, and I, I kind of work through this in the book, you know, when we are the happy, smiley, friendly one, that's the person everyone wants to be around, but no one wants to hear about the hard stuff or the kid that's sad or that has their head downcast. And as I turned into an adult, I realized this is, this is something that I think a lot of people go through. I think a lot of people have a hard time processing the hard things in life and and we want everything to end with a happy ending and we want things the hard things in life to be short you know with a quick overcoming and as i started to build my platform through fitness and sport i really started to pick careers that were kind of tied to just encouraging and and guiding people so i was a, a teacher i was a women's counselor i was a children's director at the church i was a coach like everything that i started to choose his careers in my life really pointed to wanting to encourage people. And I think that being open with my story was one of the most powerful ways that I could do that. You know, it's the book is very chock full of, of hard moments and years and years and years of that. And I think when I started on social media, I made a pact for myself who I am on social media is who I'm, I'm going to be when you meet me face to face. Oh, that's so cool. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was just like the rule that I had. And so I think when I started writing the book, that wasn't something that, oh, I think this will be like a good part of of what I do today. It was actually a dream that I had told my mom about when I was a little girl. And it was one day I'm going to write a book. And it took on many shapes and forms when I was in high school, when I was in college. And then I put it on the shelf for a long time because I realized, wow, this book is filled with a lot of resentment and bitterness and you know, the world owes me because I hurt so much. And I thought that's not the book I want to put out. I want to put out a book of overcoming and a book that people Mm -hmm. can relate to and something that is going to actually encourage people when they, when they turn the last Mm -hmm. page. So the title of the book is Choose Strong, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of like a running theme in your life. It's the name of your podcast. And last year you did launch the Choosing Strong campaign. You endured six grueling endurance races <laughs> in rather quick succession to honor your late mom. And you ran, what was it? One month, one mile for every month that she lived, Yeah, which is incredible. So can you share what it means to choose strong and how it became your personal mantra? Yeah. When I entered the ultra world um, back in 2009, I st- at the very end of 2009, I started training for my first ultra and at that time, there there was a mix of events going on in my life. So I had originally wanted to be a professional soccer player. And so I'd, I'd grown up playing soccer, lifting weights, 
And even today, that's I would say that's what my build looks like. I look like a, a pretty strong soccer player. Mm-hmm. But throughout my life, that has been something that people have always made a comment about my physical appearance being strong. And then as I went through some some pretty tough events in my life, that was something that would people would say, gosh, you're just so strong. You're you're so strong. And, you know, I think what's what has been difficult for me is even as I, I turned pro and, you know, people have pointed out over and over, I don't necessarily look like a typical professional and endurance runner because I still look like a, a soccer player. The the word strong has always just been tagged to me purely out of the the physical characteristic. And I didn't always like want to just like share the the story behind strong, which is which is in that book. But I believe wholeheartedly that everyone is strong and that we focus so much on the physical. And I really believe my strength didn't come from being in the gym. It came from choosing to move forward through every circumstance in my life. And I, I believe that is for everyone. I think every human is strong. I think it genuinely is a choice. And so as I was writing this book and, and processing um, the Choose Strong project, which, yeah, I chose to do that project in honor of my mom's 43 years on life. I turned 43 last year and, and I was in a very different place in my life. And so I thought, you know, I get to choose every day a stronger path, a strong mindset, strong love. And that is the tagline of of our podcast, strong mind, strong body, strong love. Mm -hmm. It was just a message that I wanted to put out because as a coach and when I go out and I do events and I do races and I get to interact with crowds of people, one of the most common things that people will say to me is like, oh gosh, you know, you're just so strong. And then it's a series of I'm not this, I'm not this, or I could never do that. And, you know, that's amazing that you can do that. But I, and I really believe that when people come and talk to me, it's, it's very powerful and important that I say to them, you know, you are strong too. It doesn't matter if we have the same quads or if I'm running hundred miles and you're running 10 miles, like that it really doesn't have anything to do with it. Like we both have that strength in us. Mm-hmm. And as the years went on, I saw how powerful that was and how it has changed so many people's lives. I mean, Eddie and I get messages every single day of people saying, this is how I chose strong. And it looks different for everyone, but it's just realizing that I am capable to to get through hard things. I am capable to get through this tough season or this illness or this loss and because I'm choosing to do it. And I think when people realize that, it is so much more than what maybe society puts the emphasis on, on muscles and, you know, massive financial achievement. It's something within us that we can choose every day. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love that sentiment for sure. I have two questions for you in this one. I hope this doesn't sound flippant, but I'm wondering, like, do you ever get weary of people commenting on your physique and being like, oh, you are so strong? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe not trying to judge yeah. people so much by what they look like. Yeah. That's a really great question because um, there, there's two sides of that. Yes, there there was a really uh, <laughs> a couple years, like a season where I was weary in that. And in fact, during that time, like wherever I went, I wore like a long coat um, yeah. if I was in a public setting because I genuinely couldn't walk into the grocery store. You know, it, it didn't matter where I was, but my kids started noticing it. Like we would be standing in line at a coffee house and 
people would comment on my legs or my shoulders or something like that. My kids are like, mom, why do people always say stuff to you? And, and I started to develop kind of this more resentful, even kind of like a a bitterness that I was just defensive to everyone around me. Mm -hmm. And I thought this is not, (laughs) I don't want to live my life like this. I don't. And I think even on social media, we see people use their platforms for that too. Like they'll say like, this guy came up to me in the gym and then it's just the whole post is just so angry. And, you know, we need to change this and this and this. And I'm like, well, I think we need to look at two sides of, of what is really going on when we're commenting on people's bodies, because it isn't always out of being rude. It isn't always because they're a douchebag or, um, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think we have a real problem with that. And so I made a very personal challenge for myself. And I thought, what if, I chose to respond to people in a completely different way than they would expect me to. And I'll tell you what, people have said stuff about my body since I was in elementary school. Yeah. So it was like, whether it was my butt or um, my stomach or whatever, I, I am genetically a little bit more like naturally muscular, so I can put on weight really fast. I've always been toned since I was a little girl. Yeah. So I think that the attention that my body ha- has gotten, it it wasn't new to me. It just started to increase, as, especially as I got older and, you know, my careers put me in, in places where more eyes were on me. And there's the, this story, I've, I've shared this before, but it really was life changing for me. It was in 2016, I had gone through like a series of doctor's visits where I met with doctors and said, is there a way to atrophy this muscle? Oh my gosh. Um, I had been signed as an athlete now for two, three years. And the number one thing people are saying is like, you're so muscular and, you know, you're big and I'm tired of it. Maybe I would, I would be better in the sport if I was smaller, if I didn't have so much muscle. And I I sat down and after it was a, a second clinic I went to where they did some body fat testing in the second clinic you know, she did all the tests and then she sits down and I didn't never told anyone what I did. Like Mm -hmm. I was really secretive when I went in. So I just kind of was like, yeah, I like to exercise. And every time I would get evaluated and they'd run the test, they're like, okay, what do you do? And (laughs) they're like, you know, one of the clinics was like, we've never had athletes with your numbers except our professional hockey players. So you do more than exercising. And so then I would share like, I'm a professional mountain runner. Um, I'd love to atrophy this this muscle. I think it will look too big. And they're like, honestly, like you wouldn't be able to do what you do because there's not a lot to get rid of. It's not like you have all this weight, this unhealthy weight that's like yeah. holding you back. Mm-hmm. These are your bones. This is your muscle mass. Like you actually shouldn't lose anymore because then you'll start to get injured. And that's always something that I've been really proud of in my career is like I I don't get injured. And I've been here for a long time competing and and doing some pretty cool things and, you know, getting my period every month. And I think that every physician was like, I don't want to work with you. And I was like, I don't have an eating disorder. Like I love to eat. I just need to figure out how to get rid of this muscle. And one doctor looked at me and she said, you know, it's really interesting that you have been a professional athlete for the past few years and you want to change the very way that you got into the sport. And so it kind of just dawned on me like, yeah, I've been here for a couple of years doing what I love, you know, placing top 10 in Western States two times at this point. And I thought that I was wrong because based on other people's opinions. And so 
few weeks after that, I went out on this like really hot run in the canyons um, near my house. And I was in these short shorts and a, and a, and a tank top. And I stopped at a Whole Foods to go and get some food. And I, it was a really hot day, but I had always kept a long jacket in the backseat of my car. And so as soon as I get out of the car, I grab my jacket so that I don't, you know, have people coming up to me in the grocery store and I'm putting this jacket on. It's like 90 degrees out. And it was like, I just had this epiphany right there in the parking lot. And it was like, what are you doing? This is your ball and chain. You are tied to this jacket because of two reasons. One, like you, you don't appreciate, you don't accept the way you look. And so you're covering it up. On the other hand, like you can't stand people coming up to you and commenting on it, but yet this is the body that you have and you will always have. So how are you going to operate? Like, are you going to be miserable and bitter and defensive? Are you just going to be defensive, Sally, all the time? Put your armor on and just head down. Don't talk to me. And I thought that is never who I've wanted to be. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to take off this jacket and I'm going to walk in the grocery store. And that's what I did. And within 90 seconds of walking in the grocery store, someone came up to me. And again, it was like I was like being tested. I was like, all right, now I'm going to I'm now going to change. I'm not going to be defensive. And what this person is about to say to me, I'm actually going to look at this person with compassion because I really believe it it takes a lot to walk up to somebody, to a stranger and say something. There has to be a motivation Mm -hmm that is far more powerful than what we think it is. Um, it takes strength. It takes like courage. And yeah, sometimes you are just going to get a guy that's going to be like, nice, but do you know, and just <laughs> say whatever, like, okay. Like even that I'm like, you know, sometimes it's nice to be okay. I got it going on like, great. But like, <laughs> we're not going past that dude. Like, but in this moment it was a woman and she was a beautiful woman and she was very fit and her face was really sad. And she just came up to me. She's like, wow, what do you do? Like, how do you get legs like that? Like, you you look amazing. I like to run. I like to lift. I was really, like, subtle about it. I didn't <laughs> go off on all the things I do. And I immediately turned it on to her. And I said, you look amazing, too. It looks like you put in hard work. And, you know, I commend you for that because I know it takes hard work to, you know, build up those muscles. And she just she looks at me. She pauses, kind of turns her head. And she's like, I've been working with my trainer for over two years to get legs that look exactly like yours. And I just can't do it. And I don't I, I don't know what the problem is. But, man, it's just so frustrating. And I spent time talking to this woman for a few minutes And she was so down. Even when she walked away, she was very down. And I watched her walk away. And then I realized, I was like, what if instead of being defensive and hiding and thinking that every person that is saying something about my body wants to attack me, what if I realized that sometimes people are asking questions because they're hurting because they themselves don't accept what they look like because they are genuinely curious that how is this woman who's a little bit bigger, a little bit more muscular is doing all the things that they have always wanted to do, but they're not doing it because they're locked in this paralyzed fear of criticism and people telling them they can't do that. And once I did that, it was like everything changed. And I get messages from women every day that say, I run because you encouraged me to run. I run now because I finally feel the freedom that I can look exactly what I look like and run. Like I've had women come up to me just crying, saying they finally feel the freedom to do what they love because 
of the way that I look. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's, that's, what's so amazing about really resting and embracing who we are uniquely is when you do that, like you never know who you're encouraging. You never know who's going to be inspired by that. And I think that a lot of criticisms, they actually are rooted in hurt. They are rooted in past pain. You know, it's, it's so typical if you think of a bully, you know, people become bullies because they've been hurt so much in their life. And it's like one of the most powerful ways to deflect that pain or, or to turn the same pain that they've known onto somebody else. And I think that I want to just respond differently. And so I welcome it. I love it. Like people want to come up to me and be like, wow, like, what do you do? Like, I'm like, let's have that conversation. And I've had some really powerful, incredible conversations and have made some really like funny and hilarious and friendly connections to out of it. I think at the end of the day, most people, they just want to make a connection. They have a question and I love to be able to spread a stronger message. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that turning it around. And I love that like the first person you literally saw was like a woman who wanted to emulate you more than just comment on your physique. Right. And yeah. um, that's like the universe speaking to you and saying, take off the coat, Kat, Sally, take off the coat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think for everyone, it's like, you know, we don't have to hide. We don't, if, if we could just tell people you are the way you are for the journey that was meant for you. And I think about that all the time. Like, uh, you know, years back, I'd look in the mirror and be like, dude, my legs are so muscular. But I've also known like, wow, I've actually have been strong since I was a little girl, like literally physically and mentally. And then now as I'm grown, it's like I look back on my story. I'm like, I, I am this way because of the story that I have lived. And I think that embracing our unique story and realizing that all the events in our life, all the things that we naturally love and are passionate for, we're built for those things. Mm -hmm. And no one gets to live our life for us. No one feels what we feel. No one thinks exactly what we think at every second of the day. And there's a lot of beauty and wonder in that. And if we embrace that and we were stoked about that, um, I think it would be a lot easier to move through life and and to keep going because we don't know where we're headed. So if someone told me when I was in high school that I was going to be a professional ultra mountain runner, I would have laughed. I would like, what? <laughs> but man, the, yeah. the way that I'm built, I can endure hundreds of miles and a lot of discomfort. And I think, man, I've been training for that since I was a little girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. We will be back with Sally McRae right after this. So stay tuned. So Sally, you have some lovely words woven throughout the book about the act of standing, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily standing in the physical sense. Rather, you define it as to remain valid or unaltered. So can you share more about how you believe that the symbolic act of standing holds such immense power? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I open the book with that. One of the comments that I make before I talk about that is that I lived a lot of my life feeling like I needed to change who I was in order to be loved, to be accepted, and for a lot of the pain to stop. And who I believed I was as a little girl, and I had so many encounters and moments where I'd sit in my closet, even in my room. I just hated who I was. And I think that is such a painful thing, as I think back on on little Sally, realizing this little girl hated herself so much. And the only way 
that I could make sense of it. It was that there was something wrong with me. The the pain that I was enduring and I was treated differently than my siblings. So I thought, well, you know, that it only makes sense logically that I'm treated differently because there's something terrible about me. There's something wrong. And when we think of change as little kids, we think of it as just a more of a physical alter. There's, there's something about me physically that is wrong. Or like, um, even in my personality, I didn't put this in the book, but at one point, like there is a, an event where my dad really points out how much he doesn't like my laugh. He just d- didn't like the sound of it. And I was so self-conscious about that. And consequently, now as I'm older, <laughs> it's crazy. That is something I'm actually known for. And so mm-hmm. in relating to that, it's what if we just chose to stand in who we are and all that we are in every piece that that makes us that makes us unique and the book is kind of a journey of that of trying to really fight and believe that my life was valid and that it was worth continuing to live and and to push forward and and so i feel like yeah this the standing is I mean, there's definitely some physical events in there where I do stand up and and I take action on my on my two feet, but mm-hmm. um, over and over again, it is standing and and choosing just to embrace who you are, regardless of of what is being told to you and and the hardships that are around you. And and yeah, that took me a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, so if someone's listening and I'm like, yes, like this resonates so much, I want to. I want to be like Sally, right? You know, I want to I want to choose strong, I want to stand, and yet I mean, I'm like getting teary just listening to you, you know, and I I'm wondering where would you have them start, right? Like if if I was talking to you in the grocery store or something like yeah. that, like how do you I mean, and I realize it's a huge ball of yarn. I mean, yeah. we're not going to yeah. do it. This is not a therapy session, but yeah. you know, again, like I mean, I feel like so for so much like the things that we want and the things that we know that are rationally good for us yeah. are are so sometimes feel like so hard to achieve. Yes. So like, where do you even like begin to stand or begin to say, okay, mm-hmm. you know what? My one mile today is going to be as good as Sally's bad water race. Mm-hmm. And it's, I realize it's not a comparison. So that's yeah. probably not the best way to put it, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. And I, and I, I don't always even push back on, on the comparison. I think comparison can be completely terrible when it's rooted in like coveting and jealousy, you know, sure. it's like, I think sometimes we can say, we, we can maybe use the word guide, you know, mm-hmm. like what, what is, is guiding me or, in, or in inspiring me. Cause I know for me so many times I've worked through things and I'm like, wow, that, that person did all that. And that was their starting point. Like that's inspiring to me. You know, I don't need to be that person, but it's okay. like just knowing we have that in us, we have that drive. And I, I think that's what I've always shared. Cause I used to do these Nike run clubs, the live versions. Like we'd have like 150 people come out to a track session. It was so freaking fun. And I cannot tell you, there was never mm-hmm. a time when I was coaching that someone, groups of people would come up to me and be like, hey, like we're here to do the workout, but you know, we're not really runners. Like, well, you know, we don't really do anything totally. you do. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we, this, <laughs> so, so that side of like, I get what you're saying, like you don't want to compare, but my heart is just like overflowing with so much. Like I, I then turn that on and say, first of all, what I see around me is there's only 150 people and we are here in LA and you're one of 150 people that showed up for this track workout. There's millions of people that live in LA. So one freaking good job for being here. 
for for showing up because that is the hardest thing to do is to show up. Two, nobody comes out of the womb knowing everything and being super strong and doing. We all have a starting point and I've had a lot of different starting points. And I think that when you can turn your um, your your questioning on yourself and ask yourself, what do I believe to be true of me? Who am I? Who do I I say that I am? A lot of really honest, raw feelings and thoughts come out. But I, I think we live in a world that we're, we're so easily distracted. We're distracted by screens that all we're doing is watching and comparing. And we don't actually take the time, turn all that stuff off, sit down with a pe- literally sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and reflect on who we are as people. And so first and foremost, I say, don't lose sight of who you are. Who mm-hmm. are you? Who are you when you wake up in the morning, you set your feet on the ground and you look in the mirror? Do you look in the mirror with eyes of hate? Do you criticize yourself and do you judge yourself? Do you look in the mirror and wish that you could change? Where does all of that come from? Why is it that when you stand alone in the bathroom and you look in the mirror, that more negativity comes out than positivity? And I, I, really believe that if we can just take a moment each day and start there with the person looking back at us and realize all the beauty and the and and the capabilities that we have the strength that's in us and the purpose of our life being here if we started with with gratitude and understanding like hey you don't know what's ahead for you you don't know how your story ends and that was one of the reasons why I really was earnest about getting this book out because it's 18 years of a lot of pain And, you know, I talk with people all the time. They're like, I have been in this funk for six months and I can't get out of it. I can't see the end of it. And it just hurts and life sucks. And I can't be around my friends that are doing well. And, you know, it's one thing after another. And my whole heart is just like, I feel you at my core, Mm -hmm. but you actually, you have to keep going. That's, that's your responsibility to keep going. There's, there's one you, one shot, will never get you again, and you have no idea what is going to happen tomorrow. And I think that that is a, a stronger way um, to look at our life, is to see it in its unique sense and know that we really do not know the next page in our story unless we choose to live it. And if, we're st- if, if you are listening to this right now and you are in, in that funky spot, I say start with you. Who do you believe that you are? And do you believe what, who others say that you are, random people and strangers? Do you um, have people in your life who love you and care about you and have been there since day one? Who do they say you are? But if you don't know who you are first and you don't believe in who you are and you can't see how wonderful and unique and incredible and full of purpose that you are, yeah, it is hard. It's hard to choose strong, but it it does take belief. And I'm I'm all about that. Believe in, in who you are. And it isn't just, you know, ending there. Believe in the strength inside you. Believe in your purpose for being here. Believe that there's hope for better days. Believe that you can overcome because you can. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure so many people need to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's important for all of us, and um, I know it's taken a lot of work for you to get there. And mm-hmm. thank you for sharing your wisdom; that's mm-hmm. so important. But speaking of work, your mm-hmm. physical work that you're <laughs> working on right now, aside from your book, you also are training for some pretty incredible races coming mm-hmm. up. 
you have what three two hundred race two hundred mile races in your future? Yeah, I, I did one already, so we're doing four this year. It's called the Grand Slam of two um, hundreds. So it's my first time entering this distance. I always said I wouldn't do it, <laughs> but then um, I'm but just. Hey, a you really never know cute, what the day is going to bring, right? Exactly, so there you go. <laughs> exactly, and that's so good for the listener to hear because there have been a lot of things I've said I could I could never do that. I don't want to do that. Why would I do that? And then now here I am. And that's what's so exciting too. I think I've been um, doing this professionally now for almost 10 years and I always wanted to carve out a career that was very unique to me. I mean, there's definitely been things where you feel the pressure of like, okay, I need to do Western States and UTMB and Hard Rock, you know, I need to do all these races and please my sponsors. And um, that's what the crowds expect to me. But as is true to my life, I always have wanted to stand in the things that I really love and that um, if I'm curious about something, I'm, I'm going to go after it. And in 2016, after I ran my third Western States, I was training with Ann Trayson. Uh, she was my coach at the time who had won that race 14 times. And I would go up and mm-hmm. stay with her in her house. She had a, a yellow bedroom and all her trophies were in there. And I would stay in that bedroom and I would train and but I had a really great conversation and she said, Sally, if there's one thing that I wish that I would have done differently, it was that I would have taken more opportunities and done different races around the world. Mm-hmm. And she was like a mom to me. She was so precious. And I had told her, I was like, well, since I was a little girl, that's all I've wanted to do. I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to go to different countries and see different places. And this time in my career, I was starting to be invited to race all over the world. And so that's what I did. So I had a chance to pretty much race on every single continent and then just moving through the races that were exciting to me. And so I finally landed on these 200s. I thought, what about these things? Like these have been around for a while. Like this is such a weird distance. It's not the same as a 100, but I'm going to go learn about 200s. I think it's absolutely fascinating that humans can, can travel 200 miles on their feet And I want to feel what that is. And I want to experience that. And so I did Cocodona 250 on May 1st. And after I finished that, I mean, it was just with so much elation thinking about, wow, we are so much stronger than we think we are. We are so much more enduring because I couldn't wrap my mind around that mileage. But, you know, you get on that start line and there's people of every age and walk of life out there and they're on the same course. Doesn't matter how fast or what your time is, we're on the same course, traveling the same distance. And wow, it uh, has really changed my my perspective on the this sport, mainly because it's like, wow, are there going to be 300 mile races and 400 miles and, <laughs> and that? But it's like, with again, it's like having a, a, a whole new starting point because there's still a lot that I need to learn how to train, how to actually race it. But yeah, mm-hmm. this is a really exciting season for me. So I just chose to dedicate all of 2023 to, to 200s and had to give the heads up to all my sponsors like, hey, guys, just so you know, like, I'm going to do something kind of crazy this year. But I mean, I think they're used to it now because the past few years has been about that. Yeah, sure. When I did the Choose Strong project, it was the same thing. It was, you know, I'm not going to. I'm going to do my own thing this year and create a project that's going to take up all my time. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited about these next three races coming up. I have Tahoe 200 in on July 21st. So, oh, weeks. And, and just to shed a little light on the 200 mile race, <laughs> is it taking you like how many, like two days or how long are you running for or how long do you anticipate running for in Tahoe? Yeah. I mean, obviously like the terrain is a huge factor. 
I mean, Cocodona was 250 miles and that took me 87 hours. So, um, I think I slept a total of like two and a half or two hours and 45 Mm. minutes, um, within that. And, um, yeah, so that's a long time on the feet, (laughs) but the (laughs) next one, apparently you're going to laugh but the next one is apparently a faster course. So, um, so we're looking at 83 or 82. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be a, a, in, in more of this. 70s 60 hours 60 60 50 yeah Yeah. awesome that's what we're aiming for well we'll be (laughs) watching you sally this is really thank you for coming on you are obviously your energy just comes through the microphone comes through our earbuds um if you do not follow her on instagram yet follow her yellow runner check out her podcast and yeah we are just so delighted to have you on and thanks for sharing thanks for sharing a part of yourself and for sharing your book And we will also link to that in the show notes so people can check it out when they are done listening. Thank you so much, Sally. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Our podcast today was produced by Barry Medore of Fire on the Bluff in St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome back to our second edition of Nourished on the Run. I am sitting across from the knowledgeable and lovely and just have run. She's a little sweaty. Um, yes. Ellie Campton, um, who today we're going to talk about summertime and eating in the summertime. Right, Ellie? Yes. It's such a playful time of year to celebrate the plate. Yes. Well, and one of the things that we just talked about was how, I mean, I know like I feel like you know, the days are longer. I want to, you know, go to barbecues. I want to enjoy the longer days, but I also feel kind of tied to doing the quote unquote right thing, right? The right, like nutritional thing, which I feel like might be harder to do in the summer. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So we're very much groomed or indoctrinated to do wellness rituals in kind of a static space, right? Like you learn to eat your vegetables and drink your water and exercise. And so we are kind of made to think that we should perform these wellness habits rigidly every single season the same way. And it turns out the body is not, um, it's misaligned when we don't allow ourselves to kind of mix things up a little bit and allow ourselves to really accept summer's invitation to do things differently and to try on new foods for size and maybe try on different workouts and really allow ourselves to kind of reclaim our agency over some of our choices that feel maybe more aligned with the season at hand. Like, so, so specifically, like, what are you talking about? Um, Like, are there certain things like that you think about doing in the summer that you might not think about doing, say, in the dead of February? (laughs) Absolutely. The laundry list, there's a long laundry list that I'd love to share, but I'll start with just even the temperature of foods we consume, right? So in the dead of winter, those cold, harsh February mornings, I'm not going to be recommending consuming an ice cold smoothie to wake up. Now, the wellness industry would say, well, smoothies is how you get everything in and pack it in and, you know, just guzzle it down. Well, in the, in the winter, you're cold. So maybe it's an opportunity to consume warmer foods. Whereas in the summer, when you wake up and you're sweating upon waking, girlfriend, go drink that smoothie, right? Yes. So temperature of food, color of food. I think, you know, seasons like summer, they are just an opportunity to become an 
artist and paint and try colors and textures that you haven't had in a while because they happen to be in season. Whereas in the winter, maybe it's a little bit more uh, kind of um, consistent because there are fewer foods in season and maybe you just need the simplicity of consistency. But in the summer, when you maybe dance your way through a farmer's market, what would it look like to, I don't know, posit a stall that has a food you've never heard of and and buy it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us what you, I mean, we always like to look to you for guidance and I know you are, Mm -hmm. you don't want to tell people exactly what to do, but what foods get you excited in the summertime or that you've seen recently at the farmer's market or know that are coming in August or something like that? Yeah. So when I'm at a farmer's market, I always feel this kind of spontaneity and also creativity to really hone in on a color that I'm really attracted to. So I feel like when I go to a farmer's market, I'll even just playfully choose one, like the color red or the color orange. And I'll just kind of scan the stalls. And I'm not looking for packages that are red. I'm looking for bright colored produce, whether it's fruits or vegetables that are just literally kind of, um, you know, eye candy because they are, when they're that deep, dark color or bright color, they are brimming with just uh, healing nutrients that really allow us to sustain some of the exposure to the sun that we are enduring, but also the extra kind of even inflammatory stimuli that we're engaging with. And so when I go to a farmer's market, I will fill my basket with a variety of different fruits and vegetables that are all kind of screaming that color that I'm feeling so attracted to. So this means I'm going to eat things that I haven't eaten in a while. Like if we're thinking red, what Mm -hmm. produce would come to mind for you? I mean, strawberries. (laughs) Strawberries come to mind, tomatoes. Exactly. Bell pepper. But I don't eat radishes all the time. I don't eat radicchio all the time. I don't eat even rhubarb all the time. So I'm trying to do something new. And when you do something new, you get a little dopamine hit. And that dopamine hit, it's called, you know, the dopamine of novelty. What you're going to notice is that you're going to find more joy in it. It's going to feel less like an obligation and more like an invitation. Yep. Yep, for sure. Well, I'm just thinking about like if I was cooking with rhubarb, which I've never done before ever, um, you know, like I would pay more attention to how to prepare it. I would pay more attention to how it tasted. I would be more curious about what my family or maybe I wouldn't be curious about my family's (laughs) reaction because I probably (laughs) don't want to know. But but I just I like that idea of it. It is novelty. It feels novel. Right. Even like you saying radicchio. I'm like, yes, I you know what? I know what? I like that. And I have never I, I can't think of the last time I bought it or did anything with it. So I love right. that. I love that idea. And so like bringing in, you're still getting like your, your plants and vegetables and your, that, that quotient, but you're doing it in a new way. Not just being like, okay, I'm going to have my berries in the morning. I'm going to have my salad at lunch. I'm going to have my grilled vegetables yeah. at night. That's what I do. <laughs> exactly. You're interrupting patterns of maybe just, kind of stagnation, right? Mm -hmm. When you do the same thing every day, it becomes a pattern that maybe doesn't light you up quite as much. And yes, you're checking the box, but I really love the idea that we can use the seasonal produce to not only kind of re-engage our lives with food as medicine, but also 
really bring in the playful element. Because yes, those colors that I talked about are like eating Advil every single day. It is literally nature's Advil. But I love the idea of pairing that medicinal component with the imagination and the the playful. The I love it. Yeah. Well, and so, and this might be a stupid question, but I believe that there are no stupid questions. Like when you don't know what something is at the farmer's market, I mean, there's a little intimidation. It's not the same int- intimidation that I feel when I go into like a bike store, but like, <laughs> um, but I'm like, oh, that, that fruit, I've never seen that before. Like, you know, do you ever ask the person you're buying it from the vendor, like what to do with it or what they recommend doing with it? All the time. I mean, I like to pride myself on being a plant goddess and knowing it all, but I really actually appreciate, even when I do think I know about something, I will pause and talk to the farmer because then you start to kind of engage in a deeper relationship with the, the process and the farmer is probably going to light up with so many playful ideas and ask them, say, I've never had this before, but I don't want to make it complicated. I just want something really simple to serve to my family and to enjoy and maybe like help me fall in love with this, right? Like, Yeah, I love that. Make it simple. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to get ideas like I know the first time I had radicchio, I did this very same thing. I asked the the farm stand what to do with it because I said, honestly, it's kind of intimidating. Like it's looks like a cabbage, but tastes a little bit more bitter than a cabbage. So I don't know where it stands. And he just said, you know what? Slice it in half, grill it, then drizzle good olive oil and sea salt over it and tell me you don't love it. And I was like, okay, sold. So (laughs) (laughs) that is easy. um, Yeah. It's so easy. And I think that's the thing that I love the most when I teach nutrition, because I'm not a chef and that's not what I do best. I love engaging women in this this relationship with food that that makes them feel like they're they're given energy back instead of healthy food being more draining, right? It's like draining. I hear t- story after story of, okay, I made that really healthy meal, took hours. Then just by the time I ate it, I was exhausted. I would never do that again. And I'm like, oh, we need to cut the right corners without sacrificing quality. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. I have another question for you. And this comes up, I th- I think about it a lot. Um, and I know we, you know, you are all about abundance and not ever demonizing food, but like, I do know that some fruits have just inherently have more natural sugar in them than others. And where blood sugar levels are trending, right? On Instagram and all the places, like you're supposed to pay more attention to them. And so can you talk a little bit? I mean, when I like can smell a cantaloupe, I'm just like, oh, I can eat the whole thing. Like I'm cutting it up and like the juice is like dripping on my fingers and I just love it. And it's obviously, you know, eating a slice of cantaloupe is not the same thing as eating a bag of M&Ms, but you know, can you just talk about a little bit, but where like really good ripe fruit peaches, melons. Um, I don't know what other ones are very sugar, you know, more sugar dense, I guess. I don't know. What's the word? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So summer is a season of fruit. And like you, I mean, my mouth is so it's watering with excitement over the idea of a juicy watermelon. And, um, I'd say, you know, to omit fruit out of summer would be a crime, especially if you love it. But what it, where I will add a cautionary note is when fruits and vegetables are categorized the same because they have different jobs in the body. If we think of all food as being information that the body is just reading, fruit is a different book of information 
than a vegetable. And so when we say them in the same breath, we're actually talking about two different books of information. And so my advice would be to make sure you bring in fruit-based information because it adds that color, which we talked about color being like Advil to the body. It adds in fiber. And we need sugar, good sourced sugar, to drive our energy throughout the day. I don't demonize carbs, but what I will say is when you're eating fruit exclusively in isolation, you'll find you're not in touch with your hunger and satiety cues. Because when you're hungry and you use fruit to completely satisfy your hunger, you will get a bit too much sugar to finally get to that end point of satiation. So my rule of thumb is to just always pair your fruit with either a vegetable or some protein. It's almost like make fruit be the accessory to protein and vegetables and not the other way. So so that's why my mom always had uh, cottage cheese and cantaloupe together. Is that right? Yes. Actually, that's so funny you say that. It's very nostalgic. I think that's why you and I both love cottage cheese so much. My mom would pick me up from my you know second swim practice of the day as a 10-year-old with half a cantaloupe, and she yeah. would fill it to the brim with cottage cheese. And I just literally flipped in just cartwheels over that. So yeah, I think, you know, did she, <laughs> I, I I think she knew that that's the reason. I think she also knew that I just didn't become really a hangry monster an hour later if she put the cottage <laughs> cheese in there. Sure. Um, so maybe self-defense, but she did it well. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, um, so just to be clear, I just want to, again, this is not like demonizing food. So you're saying pair it with a protein or some vegetables. So like, what would you pair like a peach with? Like some cheese? I don't Prosciutto. know. Like what? Prosciutto. Yeah. Okay. Like, and it doesn't have to match. I mean, I think there's this, this connotation that we need to create a dish out of it. I'm all about the lunchable meals. Like let's have some sliced peaches and some cottage cheese, or let's have some sliced peaches and even hard boiled eggs or some leftover chicken from last night. Like I actually, um, I had some leftover pineapple and rotisserie chicken. Did I serve them together yesterday? No, but they were great snacks, like just good finger food for the pool and practice with your kids, like do a little experiment on them. Notice how differently they act an hour later after having some protein with their fruit. They're just going to be more sane and less hungry an hour later. So you're kind of experimentally watching their energy and seeing, oh, I'm not crazy when I feel like I could eat a ton of sugar after you know, an hour after eating a ton of fruit. That's it. All it is, is your body naturally responding to a a slightly bigger uh, blood sugar spike and then crash. But you can mitigate that so easily and so beautifully. If you just pick a protein out of your fridge or even pair it with another vegetable, you'll, you'll blunt that blood sugar roller coaster. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. So what's one playful thing we're going into the 4th of July weekend. This is going to come out on July 4th. So we're recording early. What's one playful thing, summer-like thing you're doing this, this weekend, Ellie? Oh, you know what? I am going to spend a ton of time in the water. I am a little fish, Dimity. I always will be. I'm going to be out in the lake on my paddleboard. Possibly, this is not shocking to you, but I take a backpack with some of my books out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I will be splishing, splashing around out on my paddleboard with some of my books and some of my friends are coming up to play too. What about you? Um, Nice, nice. Not your textbooks, I hope. Like uh, oh no 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 no! Okay, okay. Those those um those are, stay on the bookshelf on a on a holiday weekend. No, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> I have a little a little library of just 
you know, some of the, the, the maybe more soulful books that I, um, I never, I always come back to like the untethered soul and, you know, that genre. That genre. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, I will be doing some reading too as well. Um, heading up to Steamboat to see my parents. So mm-hmm. definitely going to be spending some time, good time outside hiking, um, in the sun. Maybe we'll go to the farmer's market there. I don't know. We've been there before. So they've got some good stuff. So we'll see. Good stuff what, ahead. What color will you be looking for? What I mean, you know, you? I like, the, I, I got to say, I just, now that I've said cantaloupe, I kind of have orange on the brain. I do like um, blue as well. I love like blue. I love blueberries. I love blackberries. Um, I don't know if any, I don't love eggplant though. So I don't know if I could get my veggie fill there, but we'll see. Cabbage, purple cabbage. That's kind of in that, that uh, genre, right? Yes. Well, I can see some bountiful colors in your steamboat future. Let me know what you find. I'm excited to hear about it. And for everyone listening, I just, I encourage you to really accept Summer's invitation to play. Thank you, Ellie. It's so fun to talk to you all the time. And I am looking forward to our our next chat, our next Nourish on the Run, which is going to be on August 1st. So get get your rabbit rabbit ready. I'll be ready. See you then.